Hello. Um, I think everybody here I've met, if I haven't met you yet, um, we normally do this in English because we've got quite a few podcasters. A lot of them we know. I think a lot of them we might not even have ever seen here yet at the space. Um, so we do it in English for them as well because there's nothing I think as frustrating as thinking I'm going to listen to a podcast while driving to work and then it's in Afrikaans and you can't understand Afrikaans. And all of us can understand English. So bear with me. Okay, but that's not the only reason you're going to have to bear with me. Um, who, know, who knows, who here knows that the world was supposed to end yesterday? Ah, huh? Yes, yesterday. News for you. Welcome. No, 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 no. The world has had, has had to end. Um, <clears throat> the world has been ending, has ended quite a few times since 2012. Yes. I think it was supposed to end more than once this year already. But the big, the last big one was yesterday. Which um, you can, so, and obviously the end was nigh. Because here we are. And it's the next day. It was, it was morning and it was evening. It was evening and it was the morning and it was the next day. And here we all are, and everybody's still here, so it's not that we're left over. <laughs> the, the rapture did not happen. We are all still here. So, um, yes, uh, what, who started all of this, as in good tradition, is, you can go to the next one, Sarl, is a prophet in America named David Mead. You'll see, I don't know if you guys want to move over more to the middle because there's going to be quite a few stuff that you want to see here. You guys, yeah, let's everybody move. Let's not make. Yeah, let the saints sit together. Tiu and Nick. No, but now the holiness in that part of the room is too much. <laughs> okay, so we've got, we've got David Mee. An American prophet who has been looking at all of the disasters happening. Um, well, first the eclipse, which was big. Then all of the disasters happening in America. Well, not just in America, but the natural ones in America. Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma. Um, the, yes, Jose. The unnatural disasters happening in places like Korea um, and, North, uh, well, and China but that's because of hydrogen bomb experimentation that earthquakes happen. But okay, so we, we're experiencing earthquakes and, um, well, there's a lot of famine in other places, like the Western Trump. Cape. Yes, Trump. We're also experiencing Trump, which some say is the Antichrist. <laughs> I think that is a little, being, mean, being a little mean to the Antichrist, but that's just me. <laughs> so, so uh, if you're a Trump supporter, forgive me. So what he said is he, um, he started reading um, Revelation first, obviously always Revelation first, but we're not going to jump into Revelation tonight. The, the text we're jumping into tonight, this is an experiment, <coughs> and if it fails miserably, then please tell me, then we will never do this again. But um, he moved from there, he moved to Luke 21, verse 25 to 26, which talks about planets, the sun disappearing, and planets being out of place. Okay? And why he moved to that is because he heard of a ghost, uh, well, a planet that is hidden, a hidden planet. It's not a ghost planet, a hidden planet. A hidden planet called Naburi? Nibiru. Nibiru, sorry. Planet X or Nibiru, which um, is actually quite close to the Earth. You'll see on the bottom there. It, Suddenly, on the 23rd, Nibiru would appear, as if from nowhere, poof, and then the Earth would be sucked into its orbit and destroyed. And that then becomes the whole, um, from there, it's the end of the world, and the coming of the dragon, etc., etc. Um, in this, how he got to yesterday's date was the number 33, because he said that everybody who does these uh, they're very fond of doing math, doing math problems with books like Revelation. So he, the math was that Jesus lived for 33 years, 
okay? That the name Elohim, um, one of the Hebrew words for God, um, is mentioned 33 times in the Bible, okay? And 23 September is 33 days since the solar eclipse, which happened on the 21st of August. So, he was um, quoted as saying, it's a very biblically significant, numerologically significant number, number 33. I'm talking astronomy. I'm talking the Bible. I'm merging the two. Um, what's always funny is, uh, through the ages, um, what they say when it doesn't happen, because, I mean, it became evening and morning all over the world, and here we are. So now um, he has re not retracted. He has said that he didn't mean it, the world would end yesterday, but it was the start of the end of the world. By October, a part of the world will not be the same anymore as it was yesterday. That's so, <laughs> so um, when when I start thinking about that, I just think that's. That's true of any, any part of the world on any given day, because tomorrow it's not going to be the same, and by October it's definitely not going to be the same. But okay, he says by October the world will end. Do you? Did he specify like a time zone? Uh, he didn't specify a time zone, but when, when, when it became the 23rd in places like Australia and, from, and continuously on, then people started assuming it was probably North American time because everything starts in North America. Um, and then it happened in North America as well, and then it didn't happen. So, yeah, so that was the... Um, what is interesting is the number 23, of course, have I, did you guys ever see the movie with Jim Carrey in it? Who is obsessed with the number 23? So that was funny to me when I saw it's, he's obsessed with the number 33, which brings him to the number 23. But okay, so that's the story. That was the prophet. This was not the first time, I think, in my lifetime from high school, the world has been supposed to end, sure, I think at least 12 or 13 times from different sources. Either it was Nostradamus, or it was Sinner van Rensburg, or it was the Millennium, or it was, there's lots of things. Tani Pietra in the Free State, who saw an angel who told her it was going to end. Lots of people in America see the end. Um, what's interesting about this is how fascinated people are with it, how they react. Not just, well, popular media, the moment that this guy opened his mouth and had his random video of an hour and a half, um, it was on the news everywhere. Um, and maybe because I lecture in New Testament, and um, so I give class to guys who are going into congregations, everybody starts asking you, have you heard the world is gonna end? And it's something that spreads through Christians as well. And it's this, um, it's, it's a hype that happens. And it's, it's weird to me. Um, I asked Sardal about it and he said all that he thinks when it happens is that people are stupid when he hears that there's another ending of the world. Not everybody can be as pragmatic as Sardal. Uh, <clears throat> most of us, you have a reaction when you hear the world is going to end the 23rd. You might be a little afraid, you might be a little glad. Um, but all of us have a reaction, and all of us follow the story. We are fascinated by it. Um, and what is not coincidence is that I was doing the text that this comes from with my fifth-year students. Um, no, not sorry, my, my second-year students. We were talking about this text. Because Luke 21 makes use of Mark 13. Um, we can't go into that in detail now, but Mark 13 is a source. Well, Mark is a source for Luke, and this comes from Mark. So, I want us to have a look at Mark, the text in Mark and talk about it and see if we can't get somewhere. Because one of my pet peeves, I don't have just one, but one of them is people taking the Bible, especially strange things like Mark 13 or Luke, his equivalent and just ripping into them and doing the most awful stuff to them. Um, those of you who don't know me yet quite well, I love all of this stuff. I did my doctoral on Revelation 
when I've worked on heaven and hell. And so these are the things I love. And it's really bad when people take it and make awful things with it. Um, so we're going to read Mark 13. Uh, if you don't have your Bible electronically, you can take one of the Bibles. There's, there are Bibles lying around. I'm going to read from the New International Version, especially for you. Don't, and it's a, it's, a, it's a long chapter. And I hope we're going to be able to break it down so that you can walk out of here knowing what to do when the next end is prophetized. Okay, so Mark 13 in the NIV for those of you who are reading it electronically. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sit sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claim, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and the father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, sounds so beautiful and light and fluffy, standing where it does not belong, let the leader un reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the house stop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars, the stars or in this case Nibiru, will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned tasks, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. A little, a light bit of reading, I know. Um, 
And when we talk about Mark 13, um, this might, obviously you've heard, you heard it was, it's an apocalypse. Um, what is an apocalypse? An apocalypse is a way the world ends. Um, so you have different kinds of endings. Apocalypse is one of the ways it ends. And like the word sounds, it ends badly, really, really badly. It ends with blood and gore and guts and destruction because things have to be fixed from the outside. God has to come from the outside and fix things. We aren't great enough to fix it from the inside. So this clearly is an apocalypse. I mean, you've, you heard all of the destruction and the running and the fear and the persecution. And it might sound strange if I tell you that this is also the place, Mark 13, is the place where all of the different storylines of Mark are pulled together. Because this does not sound like a chapter that pulls storylines together. In fact, when you read it, it kind of blows your mind away and open. <laughs> what is going, what the hell is going on in this chapter? What did Jesus smoke before he said this? And um, what am I supposed to do with this? Now, the easy answer would be to say um, that when we talk about the apocalypse and how we understand it, how we understand this, when we talk about the world ending, it might be to say that Mark 13, where it says nobody knows when the end will come. Not the angels, not me, as in Jesus. I'm not Jesus, when Jesus spoke. <clears throat> Just in case you were worried. <laughs> so, when he spoke and said, um, he doesn't know, only the Father knows. That would be great, because that makes it uncomplicated. So that you can just tell people when they say the end is coming, you can tell them, that makes you more important and greater than Jesus. That's wonderful for you, I'm glad. And then you can go on with your life. But that leaves us with, um, with a few things. When we look at, just to help us understand how Mark 13 works, because it's a lot that we read, what do we have? We have Jesus telling them that they've finished in the temple. They've been in the temple for a while. They're walking out. The, the disciples say, this is an impressive building. And Jesus says, it's going to be destroyed like this in Mark 13 verse 2. Then the disciples, as the disciples always do, they, they give it time because you hear that Jesus is now on the Mount of Olives. So they've walked all that way. And then um, Peter and John and um, James... And Andrew goes to him and say, okay, so uh, <clears throat> that was an interesting statement. We were wondering whether you might be able to give us a sign or um, just a hint or two. They were me. I would have wanted to know how am I going to, can I write down a few things so that I know when this is going to happen? I want to be prepared. And he goes on to answer them, but he answers them with four predictions. That's where it gets weird in the chapter. And then he has a statement about time, which makes it even weirder, because what does he say? He says, all of these things will happen in your lifetime. And that's where it gets awkward, because if you think about it um, in a future tense, then the disciples have been dead for quite a few centuries, and yet here we all still are. So how does that work? That makes it difficult. And then there's a short parable that is about the master that leaves. Okay. And as I said, if we could just take, um, then it, it might be, the short answer might be to say, not even Jesus knows, only the Father knows. So rest easy when the next guy comes and says the, end, the world is going to end. But that leaves us with a few questions. Um, <laughs> and that is... That does nothing with the four prophecies that he talks about. What are those prophecies? That's where the gore is. First, there will be a time of great conflict, of disasters, of persecution, of tribulation. That's where the beautiful pieces, if you've got a new baby like Nick, where, where they say it's horrible for pregnant women and women who are breastfeeding. That's a beautiful thing to hear if you're a new father, right? Mm. So then, 
The sun will go dark. After that time, the Son of Man will appear. Then he will gather all the faithful. So those are the prophecies, predictions, that we find in the text. And then we have more time references in the last verse. He talks about when the master comes back. The master might, you don't know when it might be. It might be in the evening. It might be at midnight. It might be before dawn when the cock crows or the rooster, as the NIV so... Um, uh, yes, elegantly puts it. <clears throat> or at sunrise. So we've got, in between, we've got the verse that says, not even the sun knows. But then we've got all of this that people are going to ask you about. So I don't want to leave you hanging with Mark 13. And I don't want you to go out and um, talk nonsense about it. So how do we understand these things? How do we put these things together? What is the key to understanding Mark 13? And the wonderful thing is the key to understanding Mark 13 is the passion narrative that follows. So Mark 14 to 16, you have to have a look at Mark 14 to 16 to understand Mark 13. So that's how it pulls the, the pull, it pulls the threads together, okay? Um, is everybody still with me? Good. I, Nick, you looked a little tired, so I was afraid. Right, so let's go to it. How do we do it? Well, when you, when you take, so you've got your time references, you've got your predictions. Remember the predictions, the four ones, the time references? And then the passion narrative is Mark 14 to 16. And when you put these together, you see how things fit into each other. And hopefully it brings us to the same answer. And hopefully you have an aha moment and you can go home with this and enjoy it. Because Mark is a wonderful writer who wrote so amazingly, beautifully, with strategy in mind. So, our first time reference when he says the master might come is in the evening. Okay? What is interesting about in the evening is that the same word, the same Greek word in the evening is also used when Mark starts the story of the Last Supper, of the events with the Last Supper. He also uses exactly the same word in the evening the disciples gather together and they start at the Last Supper. So if we look at just in terms of how words are used, it means that he might come in the evening. So he might come with the Last Supper. What happens at the Last Supper? He says, I am, my body is, my body is the bread, my blood is the wine. This is how you will get salvation. But that makes it a little difficult in terms of the predictions because the Son of Man has not yet come. I mean, they're eating, they're eating dinner and he's telling them, they're eating Passover and he's telling them he is going to be the Son of Man, but it hasn't happened yet. Our second time reference is at midnight. And all of the events in Mark 14, from verse 32 to 65, happen, well, we can't say it happens at midnight, but it happens between evening and when the rooster crows. So all of that happens at midnight. And that's Gethsemane, that's Jesus' arrest, that's his trial. And this is where the predictions or prophecies also come into play. And I will show you how this comes into play. With the first prediction or the first prophecy, the time of great tribulation. How does this work? So you can, there we go. How does this work? It's quite beautiful. We'll have to find a way to upload this onto somewhere. For podcast listeners, you will see this. We will make sure you will see this. If you put Mark 13, that, that piece next to Mark 14, you see exactly the things prophesied happening, happening already. Right? You see, remember he says that this will happen in your lifetime. So... In Mark 13, you might have missed it because of all the destruction and fleeing. And he says, be watchful three times. Be watchful, be watchful, be on guard. 
Also in Matthew 14, he tells the disciples three times to watch with me, pray with me. Unfortunately, sadly, we know what happens when the disciples are left to pray with him. One, two, and three times. What happens? They are sleeping. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so that's great for the watching. That's a great um, prediction for the wa- for, for watching. Kingdoms will attack one another. In Mark, you've got the kingdom of the temple, who are your religious leaders and the old way of thinking. And then you've got the kingdom of God, which Jesus comes and he says, the kingdom of God is near. And he is establishing this new kingdom, which comes from the old one, but it's not the same as the old one. So you've got conflict between the kingdom of God that Jesus is establishing and the kingdom of the temple who want to keep on doing what they've always been doing, which we would also want to do in that situation. Let's be honest with ourselves. And interesting is that when Jesus is arrested and taken to trial, who are the ones that planned the arrest? It was the religious leaders. It was the kingdom of the temple. So the kingdom of the temple and the kingdom of God are in conflict with one another. Conflict, kingdoms will attack one another. There we go. The faithful will be, will be delivered to the authorities for persecution. What do we have in Mark 14? Jesus is arrested. He's brought to trial, and he's brought to trial not just, he's first brought to trial before the religious court, and then he's taken to the political court, and he's taken to Pilate's um, palace. Okay. One brother will betray another to be put to death. Jesus is betrayed by Judas. And, of course, it's the kingdom of God, which is also the family of God. So, he is now a brother. Brothers betray brothers. False prophets. There will be false prophets who will prophesy things. In Mark 14, we have false witnesses. Because the temple doesn't actually have a lot on Jesus. So, they get people to come and say, we heard him say. One of the things that they say, interestingly enough, is we heard him say he will destroy the temple. Now, if we remember just a little bit back, he doesn't actually say, I will destroy the temple. He just says, the temple will be destroyed. So it's false witness. The awful horror that brings destruction takes us back to Judas' betrayal with a kiss. Why does it take us back to that? Because what does the betrayal lead to? It leads to Jesus' death. So if you are a disciple, remember the disciples were not, even though Jesus has been telling them in Mark, in, from 8 to 10 he tells them 17 million times what's going to happen. They aren't with him. They don't connect these dots. So the moment he's arrested and when the trial happens and as he is taken and crucified, they think it's over. The story ends, our dream is over, our hero has died, great. So it is an awful horror and it brings destruction because your whole future is built on this man that you think is going to save you by bringing a new kingdom of Israel and he doesn't do that. When seeing this horror, everyone must run away to the hills. So this at least makes it a little better than the disciples because what happens when he is arrested? All of them run. (laughs) Peter, we have to give him credit, at least stays and cuts off an ear, which is not the best thing to do. So Jesus tells him, why did you do that, stupid, please? And then he runs away. But later decides to go, he also felt guilty and later decides to go back to at least be around the trial. Which leads us to the Son of Man will appear, coming in the clouds with great power and glory. How does it lead us to this? In the trial, after they've had the false witnesses, the high priest asks Jesus a question in such a way that he can't, he can't say no. He asks him, some have said that you are, you call yourself the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus cannot lie. Remember he said your yes is yes and your no is no. So the question is set up in that way that he has to say, yes, I am, I am, I am he. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God and coming with the clouds. You will see, the religious leaders will see that. 
Can you hear how these things have happened already? So when Jesus says it will happen in your lifetime, he's not, he's not kidding about it. Well, not all of it has happened yet. We've still got a ways to go. But we see how things are starting to happen. Now we've got our third indicator before dawn at the cock crow, at when the rooster crows. What happens, of course, Peter, who vehemently denies when they are talking at the Last Supper, Jesus tells them, Peter, maybe you should not be so uh, enthusiastically saying, I'm going to be with you until the end because you're not and Peter is no Jesus you do not know what you're talking about I will be there you can almost have a song break out at that point because he's so passionate and what happens he does decide he's, he feels guilty he goes back to the trial and people ask him about whether he was a disciple and what does he do what all of us would do say no oh, what do you what do you mean and the third time he does what Nick's um, but your uh, brother-in-law's daughter did, he swears and says, I really didn't know this beep man. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then right after he says that, what happens? The rooster crows. And at, at least Peter, ha Peter has the insight to realize, damn it, I didn't, I didn't do what I promised I would. But, how does that fit into the predictions, the prophecies? There isn't a prophecy about that, specifically. So the next prophecy that you have to get to is the sun will grow dark. In Mark 15, the three hours before Jesus' death, the sun goes dark. So for three hours before Jesus dies, the sun is dark. Upon his death, we hear of earthquakes. Earthquakes tearing through the earth, tearing through the temple, tearing the um, curtain before the holiest of holies. Uh, yes, so we hear of these things happening. And then we've got our last time reference at sunrise. So remember, this is when the master might come back, when the Son of Man might appear. And at sunrise, what's interesting, there's only two references to sunrise after that reference in Mark 13. And that's in Mark 15, verse 1, where, he, they, where they say that at sunrise, or early in the morning, Jesus was taken from the Jewish religious leader's house to Pilate's house. And we know what happens from there. So this is about the getting into the story of the death of Jesus. And the death of Jesus is not the appearance of the Son of Man. So it's not that. It can't be that. That leaves us with Mark 16, verse 2. And with that early morning, the, the female disciples are on their way to the grave because they want to finally, after Sabbath, they want to go and clean the body and take care of the body, which they couldn't, they couldn't do before Sabbath. And when they get there, the grave is empty, and there's a young man standing there who tells them he has been resurrected. This is where we get back to our next predictional prophecy, the appearance of the Son of Man. Because with, with the death of Jesus, something horrible happens, but he's dead. So he's given everything that he can give, and he's done everything he can do, but he, he's died. The moment that he is resurrected, it becomes clear that he is the Son of Man. He's the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah. Because by being resurrected, God says, yes, everything he said before, everything he did, I'm putting my stamp of approval on it. I'm telling you that it is true. So the Son of Man appears, and we know after he's resurrected, Mark doesn't tell us about it. Mark just tells us about the fact that the disciples need to go to Galilee because you will meet them there. We know that he, is, he, is, he ascends to heaven where he sits at the right hand of God, which is exactly what he told the, the religious leaders in our text that we talked about before, that you will see the Son of Man at the right hand of God and he will come with the clouds. I don't know whether he will come with the clouds, but 
So the Son of Man has appeared. And then we've got our last predictional prophecy, the gathering of the faithful, which we find in Mark 14, verse 28. Jesus says to them, after I have died and has, have been resurrected. So that's one of the sad things again, back to the disciples. He actually says it. It's one sentence in Mark 14 when they're busy with their eating. He tells them, don't worry, I'm going to die, but don't worry. He says, you will meet me in, in Galilee. And that happens in Mark 16, verse 7, when the young man tells the ladies to go and tell the men that they disciples, that they need to go to Galilee because he will meet them there. So when, when does the hour, because remember in the, the time references, when does the hour start? It starts with saying nobody knows the hour, not even the sun. It might be in the evening, it might be at midnight, it might be before dawn, it might be at sunrise. The hour starts when at midnight Jesus is praying. Because what does he say? He says to the disciples, the hour is upon us. And when he's praying and they're sleeping, snoring and drooling, and he's praying blood, sweat, and tears, he asks the Father, please may this hour not come. Please may this pass me by. So he feels it's near. The wonderful thing, the wonderful thing, the amazing thing, if you think about what he said, that not even he, Jesus, knew when the end, when the Son of Man would appear, is that when he's praying about the hour arriving, he knows what he's supposed to do. He knows what, that he's, he will have to sacrifice everything. But he doesn't know when he will be vindicated. He doesn't know. So he's walking into this blind. He knows he has to sacrifice everything because that is what God that is what the kingdom of God is about. But he doesn't know when this vindication will happen. He doesn't know when the sunrise will happen. He didn't know it was going to happen. He didn't, have, he didn't have notes saying, don't worry, it's going to be three days and then you're going to be out. Then, of course, we understand why he prayed blood, sweat and tears. I think all of us would also have been... I might have been running. I don't do running, I might have been running <laughs> as far away from Jerusalem as I could. How beautiful do the lines, how beautiful are they when they come together? Because what do we see? We see that, yes, the temple is destroyed. It's literally destroyed in the sense that the curtain before the Holy of Holies is torn in two. Which means everybody can now have access to God, not just the high priest on one day of the year. How wonderful it is to see that the Son of Man has already appeared, which means that the kingdom of God is already here. The moment he is resurrected, the kingdom of God is established. And luckily he doesn't leave us there, because if he left the disciples there, okay, he does tell them, come to Galilee. But from there he tells them, stay in Jerusalem and pray until the Holy Spirit is given to you. Because it's only after, let's be honest with ourselves, only after the Holy Spirit is given to them that they really start to put everything together and start preaching and start living up. Before then, they might have said, okay, we saw Jesus and that was amazing. We saw him ascend to heaven. That was weird. But we don't really think we, we don't know what to do with this yet. And when the Holy Spirit descends upon them, he just makes it click. And then we have Peter, who is the one that never understands, who makes the longest speech of his life. It's even longer than this or any of my speeches, a whole chapter full where he just goes through all of it because he now understands. Okay, so when Jesus says that it will happen in this lifetime, it did happen. But this brings us to our last slide. Yes, last slide. With, so what? Now what? Okay, luckily you understand, I hope you understand Mark 13 better now. So when people start trying to butcher verses out of it or throw the whole chapter at you, you can tell them, but wait. <laughs> and you can have a little conversation with them about it. Dogan explained it first. <laughs> Dogan explained it, yes. But still, so what? 
What does this mean? What, what can we do with this information going forward? I think the first thing to remember, especially when people start saying the world is going to end, what should our reaction be? Not like Sardis, everybody's stupid. <laughs> when they start becoming afraid or hysterical or whatever. There is a little bit of stupid mixed into that, but we're, not, we're going to be gentle with them. It should not be to be afraid. It should not. <laughs> you might be excited. You might be excited, depending on how the world looks after the end of October with certain parts of the world. But when we hear of things like this, that the end is nigh, then we should remember Mark 13, which tells us the end has already happened. Which sounds a little confusing because here we're still sitting and it's not heaven. That's where the question comes in. The question shouldn't be when you hear the world is ending. I hope your question will not be, it might be, is my, is my soul going to the right place? I would hope your question will be, am I living the kingdom I'm a part of? Because if we say we believe, if we, fill, if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, which we are, because otherwise none of this would make sense to us, we would still be Peter before the Holy Spirit, saying yes, yes, and then no, no. So we are in the kingdom. Heaven is here with us. We are supposed to be doing what Jesus did when he was here. And what was he doing? He was spreading the kingdom. Little by little, where he went and what he could do, he did. So to say it's that he wasn't just saying the kingdom of heaven is near, he was living it. So people who met him thought, wow, this guy's different. The reality he lives in is different. And I want to be a part of that. That is what we should be asking ourselves. If anything, not if, not as our, what is sak rach met die heren? What is, if, it's so, it's so dramatic in Afrikaans, I can't think what it is in English. <laughs> is your, Marguerite, help me, is your fate sealed? Is your soul safe? I no pressure. And I'm also looking for something dramatic. <laughs> None of us can find something dramatic enough. Uh, it's kind of like that, that, that old tale that they, well, it's an it's a old evangelical it might be. kind of line with this kind of like this guy who, you know, wanted to convert, but then he was on this motorcycle and then he dies on the motorcycle and, you know, and then he didn't convert. And where, where are you? And like, oh, where, basically, where are you going? You know, like, yes. Yes. Um, and you have to know now because you might die. Yes, that's true. <laughs> you might die before Jesus comes. Um, yes, yeah, so are you converted? It's not that question. When we hear that question, we should rather be asking ourselves, and especially when people get hysterical and start seeing things, we should be asking ourselves, what are our lives telling them? When they, when they come to us, when they see us, and there might be this looming disaster like Nibiru. What do our lives testify to them? Does this mean that, and this is where it's difficult, um, where, because we are in the, yes, it's already happened, but also, no, it hasn't happened yet. Because you can get stuck with this, yes, it's already happened, so we should be putting heaven here, and if we fail, then Jesus won't ever come back. Um, or he's already here. There are lots of people who have that idea. But if we look at ourselves and if we look at the world, even with the Holy Spirit's help, we are still broken. And it is still broken. So we have to realize that that cycle that Jesus talks about in Mark 13, with you will, you will proclaim my name, you will be... Um, persecuted, arrested, it will be, there will be bad things happening, wars, famines, earthquakes, 
Those things didn't just happen to Jesus. He was the first one to experience them. He was the one to beat all of the odds to bring the kingdom of God. So at least when we go through these things, we have hope. We know that we are safe in the hands of God. Even though it doesn't feel like our, our, our bodies might not be safe, this piece of meat might not be safe. But that doesn't mean I am not safe. So we can know that we're safe, but we should also know, and he, he actually tells his disciples in Mark 8 to 10, every time he tells them that this is what's going to happen to me, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, he says the same will be asked of you. So in a sense it has happened, but in, a, in another sense it's still happening. And we are still working, and that's where Revelation comes back. We are still moving towards our, where everything will be revealed in glory, and everything will be fulfilled, and there will be no more brokenness, no more. We have to, as faithful, faithful people living the dream that we know is not a dream, it's a reality, we have to start establishing that. We have to move toward this end, but it is still coming. And that's why we are here, and that's why it is so wonderful to be able to have things like this to remind us of why we don't need to be afraid. In fact, not afraid, excited. But other than not just excited about where we're going to end up, excited about today and tomorrow and the next day and the lives that we live now. Because in our lives, we can help bring change. And it's small change. We're not talking, you don't have to change the world. Jesus didn't change, he didn't directly change the world. He changed the life of 12 disciples. He had contact with a lot of different people, but those were the people he, were, he was invested in. So don't let the fact that I can't change the whole world discourage you. All you have to do is there where you are, there where you move, live the kingdom. And you cannot know the effect it will have rippling out from you. And that's it, guys. I hope that Mark 13 makes a little bit more sense. Uh, which also means that Luke and Matthew now make sense, those parts. You remember in your, in your Bibles, they help you a little. They give you crypt notes. They, so when you read Mark 13, you will have the text in Matthew and the text in Luke. In Luke and all of them are the, have the same meaning. And also for the next time that somebody says, <laughs> I'm not um, as pragmatic as Saddle is, I'm a little, I get a little bit more frustrated when people come to me and ask me, but the end, the end. Because I just, it doesn't matter whether tomorrow is the end or the day after is the end. What does God say, what does Jesus say in Mark 13? Be watchful, be on guard. Always be like it can happen in the next five seconds. So don't fall asleep and drool. Don't use your life to fall asleep and drool metaphorically. Be ready, live ready, and then you don't have to worry about when it is because he doesn't even know when the second time will be. He didn't know when the first time would be. <coughs> Do you have any other questions, remarks? You're welcome to. Okay, so you survived that. Podcast people, if you survive, comment. If you don't survive, also comment. <laughs> From heaven. <clears throat> so I think all that's left to do is pray. So let's pray. Lord God, you're, you are so much more than we can ever imagine. We are limited by dimensions, by time, by space, by, by our physical selves. Especially when it comes to talking about things like forever, about the end. We can't help but feel a little bit of fear, a little bit of excitement. And also overwhelmed because 
We just don't know. And then we hear things like this prophet saying, but this is definitely what it means, and we want it to be that. Thank you for books so wonderfully structured. Thank you for the Gospels. Thank you for Mark. Thank you for Mark 13, which sounds so strange and weird, like an alien came and plopped it into the text. But thank you for the rest of Mark, which helps us to understand that it's not an alien. It's exactly what it needs to be. More than that, thank you that we can celebrate. Every time we hear the world is ending, we don't need to be afraid. We can know that it is something that has already started and that it's just coming to fulfillment. Help us through the Holy Spirit to not spend our lives, however long they may be, sleeping. Help us to be alert, to be awake, to do things with our lives that make you proud. Jesus Christ, our example the one who showed us, who drew us the picture of what the kingdom of God looks like. May we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, follow in your footsteps. Small pieces every day, building up to a life that testifies that the kingdom is here, that heaven is here. We pray this in the name of the Spirit because it is only through the Spirit that we, that we can do these things. And therefore, God, our Father, the Creator, the beginning and the end, assure us that our beginning and our end is safe in you. Give us the strength to live lives of change. Lives testifying to the fact that we are not the same because we know we are a part of your kingdom. Amen.